1: Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
0: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where
1: fantasy becomes reality. Now
0: here's Frank, Scott, and Chris.
1: What a crazy day. Let's get into it. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball. Today on Thursday, May 18th, I am Frank Sample, joined by the Chrises, Towers and the Welsh. Today on the show... Another pitching injury. Dustin May gonna be out for some time here. Matthew Liberatore looks great in his debut and a crazy win for the Mets. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Let's get started. The
2: impossible has happened!
1: The impossible nearly did happen in that in that game for the Mets, guys. I'm gonna kick us off and just talk about like every Mets player. <laughs> so let's let's just start there. Wild win for the Mets. They're down two zip in the seventh inning at the time. Mark Vientos hits a two run homer in his season debut to tie the game. Mark Vientos had four hard hit balls, by the way. Yeah. More on him in just a bit. Uh they're down five to two in the ninth up against Tampa Bay, by the way, you know, the best team in baseball. Francisco Alvarez hits a three-run homer off of Jason Adam, tie game, and then down seven to five in the 10th, the Polar Bear. Pete Alonzo hits a walk-off three-run homer off of Pete Fairbanks, but the real story of that game was Kodai Senga, and that's actually where I want to start here because Senga was ridiculous. Against Tampa, once again, six innings, one run, 12 strikeouts to three walks, Three more walks, you don't love that part, but career-high 12 strikeouts, 18 swinging strikes, that was a season high as well. Uh, eight of those coming on the forkball, which was a tremendous pitch in this outing, 35% CSW, only four hard-hit balls. Kodai Singa gets the ERA down to 3.77. The whip is still very high because the walks have been an issue all season long, but well over a strikeout per inning, 11.5K per nine. Uh, Towers, will start with you. Just trying to figure out where to rank Kodai Senga right now because I was touching up the rankings on Wednesday and, you know, I moved him down a little bit. He's like barely inside my top 60 starting pitchers. I think when he faces teams for the first time that have not seen that fork ball, he can go out and have a crazy start like this and get all these whiffs on that fork ball. But I think as more teams start to see it and they'll lay off a little bit, that's when the walks start piling up and that's where things can kind of get out of control, but man, flashing the upside here. What are your latest thoughts on Kodai Senga?
2: Yeah. I mean, you see that in this start where 48% of his pitches were in the strike zone, 25% of his fork balls were in the strike zone. that's a pitch that he's just, he's not going to throw for strikes. He's throwing it for chases. And, you know, if he's not getting chases, I think that could be a problem for him. The one thing that's interesting, you know, you watch him, the sweeper started out actually as his third most used pitch after the forkball and the fastball. and he threw it seven times today. He's been, you know, right around ten to fifteen percent usage with that. That's one of the changes I've noticed over the last couple of starts. The cutter was actually tied with the forkball. It's all to say that I think he's still trying to figure things out, right? He's still experimenting and and the the transition from, Japan to the majors is, is a significant one. You're talking about not just uh, a higher level of competition, playing in different parks, playing obviously in a different country, language barrier, all these things that you have to get used to, but also a different ball. You know, the Japanese ball, a little smaller. The The seams, from what I understand, are a little lower on the pitch. And uh, I believe that was why Kodai Senga didn't pitch in the World Baseball Classic, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. He wanted to pigeon spring training get used to using the, the regular MLB ball and so it's you know it's been an adjustment for him whether this is a sign of the the flip the late the switch flipping on or not for him uh, I think remains to be seen but yeah like you said I, I do think there's there's potentially something to the idea that the first time he faces a team, you know, it it might be better than than the next time he faces them just because one, forkball, not really a pitch that anybody else really throws. It's not that dissimilar from a splitter, but still, that's also not a particularly widely used pitch. So there could be something there. I, I think he's a very talented pitcher, and if he figures it out, I think the results are going to be very good. But, you know, the three walks today makes me think that this was just... Probably a good start, but not necessarily the start of him figuring it out.
1: Again, I, I want to emphasize doing this against Tampa Bay, who is very impressive by far. Look, they're the best offense in baseball. But if you look at Woba against right-handed pitching, three sixty-three. The next closest team in baseball is the Red Sox at three forty-seven. So the Rays are far and away the best team against right-handed pitching so far this year. There's obviously a lot of talent there, Chris, which you mentioned. It's a, a, a upper nineties fastball. I think if he Plants that at the top of the zone and then tries to get those whiffs on the forkball out of it Uh, That could be a recipe for success. But again still kind of learning on the job here Well, so I have a uh, a poll up inside of the uh, the live stream right now Which rookie pitcher do you want most this season and I've got Tanner Bybee Bryce Miller Kodai Senga who technically does fit that bill and Yuri Perez Kodai Senga by far the lowest percentage at 10%.
3: Really? Yes. I didn't think he was winning it. I think uh, Bryce Miller is probably the winner of that right now. But I thought Senga might be three, two or three.
1: Yeah. So he's all the way down to 10%. And as soon as you said Bryce Miller would be leading, he took the lead at 31%. Ah. So maybe it was your vote that got it. Um, but it, does it make sense for Kodai Senga to be ranked fourth of that group?
3: Uh, what were the other two names? It was um, Tanner Fiat Bybee he and who? Bryce Miller, Yuri Perez. On Yuri Pro, well, <laughs> I mean that's a pretty good group. It is a, my my problem. I've watched a lot of Kodai Senga and like that fastball is black and white you know it, it absolutely has swing and miss especially when he can get it near the zone the problem is he can absolutely just launch it and when you're trying to throw a high fastball it has no actual like ride to their uh, to their eyes so they know it's coming out of the zone that fork is getting out and this is something i said a while back with the i've likened it to casey mize you remember casey mize mm-hmm. and that splitter and it was like well You know, if it's just going to keep dipping out of the zone, they're going to stop swinging at it at the major league level. And you have to have other stuff Senga has other stuff. He doesn't have command. He gets wild and there's a lot of movement with the pitches. And I don't think he's figured out how to quite hone that in. So, you know, maybe it's cheap here, but I think all these guys might be in a similar group. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about. Senga on the back half of the year, but if there is one guy that you could probably make an argument that can make the most adjustments, it's actually Senga of this whole group. You know, Bryce Miller is still working through the secondaries and where the strikeout numbers are going to be. Yuri Perez probably has the highest upside. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tanner Bybee, I think might be maybe the florist of all these guys. I don't think he's going to be sexy, but he might be able to avoid some of the big blow ups. I think my personal ranking on this, and this might surprise because how much uh, Bryce Miller I've been. I think I would go Yuri Perez one with what I saw. And then I would go, oh man, I kind of want to go Senga. I'm going to go Bryce Miller, Senga. And then I would put Tanner Bybee because I just want to play a little bit more upside with Senga and the rest of the crew, even though I love Bybee. But I think this is like
2: all the same relative tier group. The one thing I would add, just having heard the results of that poll, and I kind of mentioned it yesterday. I feel like Bryce Miller is a sell high candidate right now. I think like he's good, clearly, but like the minor league numbers don't suggest superstardom necessarily. And then like it's a good fastball. He does a lot of the things that you want with the fastball. He's got that uh, vertical approach angle thing going on. It's a high spin pitch comes at an angle that makes it tough for pitchers for batters to pick up. And so I think that's going to play well, but also like. 11% 11% whiff rate on the slider so far, 29% with the curveball. That's fine. No whiffs on 10 changeups. It's still early, very small sample sizes, but like I just I don't think it's real. And if people are going to, you know, put him up ahead of someone like Yuri Perez who has really good minor league numbers, has the pedigree, has, you know, scouts liked him a lot more than Bryce Miller. I think Miller's someone I'd be looking to trade right now. I think that Yuri probably not
3: being at the top is simply about everyone's concern that he's going to be able to stick around for the Mm -hmm. season. So I think that, I think from a pure stuff perspective, probably most of the chat's going to agree like Yuri Perez is that guy. Maybe there's some team context in there though. I'm not sure, you know, the Mariners have struggled in plenty of spots. Uh, I would kind of agree. I think Bryce Miller is still learning on the job, which might have some more bumps and bruises. You know, he's still learning. He hasn't really thrown the gyro, so he's still figuring out what his sliders are going to be. But that fastball of this group might be the most effective, even though like Yuri Perez's looks so pretty. I think Bryce Miller's might be the most effective fastball, but I like the secondary of Yuri Perez with his mix. Kodai Senga, if he could command his pitches, would blow all these guys out of the water, but we don't see that. And he doesn't, he hasn't found the right mixture of Throwing strikes with multiple offerings and then dumping a fork, a ghost fork on these guys—that hasn't happened, and we don't know if that'll happen this year. But that's a great, that's a great poll. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised at the end if Yuri Perez ends up taking it. But you know, I'm, I i do not know. Kodai Seng at the very, very bottom, and only t- did you say only ten percent? Mm-hmm.
1: It's now down to nine percent. Wow. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants Kodai Senga. Uh, look, the walks have been an issue this year. Let's get to the rest of these Mets players. Well, so I want to ask you about Mark Vientos, who was called up here on Wednesday. He started at third base. He was batting eighth in the Mets lineup. They were going up against a lefty in Josh Fleming. Uh, both Brett Beatty and Jeff McNeil were out of the lineup. And uh, Vientos in the minors this year, as good of numbers as you will find, batting 333, 13 homers, 11 doubles, 37 RBI, and 11.04 OPS, and I love the fact that on Fangraphs, they now have exit velocities for minor league players, like blew my mind, complete game changer. He was averaging 94.5 miles per hour on That's his really good. average exit Where velocity. Where are you
3: finding that? Are you about to blow my mind?
1: So if you go to uh, a minor league players Fangraphs page. Yeah, I'm looking at Vantos right now. Yeah, wherever you find StatCast on the page, you should be able to see it now, which is brand new <laughs> and as far as I know. <laughs> so complete game changer yep, there. there. You go. Um, but Welsh, Like, what are you expecting from Mark Vientos? Is he going to play enough? Like, that's something that we've seen with Mets players that get called up. Initially, like Brett Beatty and Alvarez, they didn't play right away, but he comes in and hits this clutch home run, and maybe that helps his playing time moving forward.
3: Because it's the Mets, I am worried that they're going to platoon in general because it seems like they're dawdling around. Like Vogelbach, you know, kind of hit it here. You already saw Escobar move over to second, which I think that's their first run at being like, all right, cool, we're going to have Beatty and Vientos play there. But I without their like full commitment to these guys, I think you guys are going to be annoyed. Uh, Bet Mm -hmm. Beatty's been kind of annoying. And I think there's like an element of get going and playing every day that these specific young guys need to do. And Beatty and Vientos are very similar in crazy hard hit numbers. I mean, as you mentioned before, four of those hits were hit 96 miles an hour or harder. And I believe two of them were over 100. Vientos hit well over 300, 400 OBP. And one of the biggest keys here is he dropped his strikeout percentage significantly in AAA. He was you know, locking into better quality pitches because this is a guy that can hit 35-plus homers. He has just never been consistent with batting average, and it really seemed to click this year. So is he going to play every day? I don't trust it because it's the Mets, but I think there's an easy path. It's you let those two guys, Beatty and Vientos, go between uh, third third. And DH, and you keep doing that. And guess what? Both can be a spell for Pete Alonso. So let Alonso, Vientos, and Beatty all play the first third DH, and don't worry about anybody else. Vogelbach, bye-bye. Eduardo Escobar, make him a platoon player that can play around with Jeff McNeil at second. That's how you play it,
2: but I don't trust that the Mets will play it like that. And, you know, you you say that, we're talking about uh, Omar Narvaez, you know, potentially he's supposed to start his rehab assignment next week, Francisco's right? Francisco's going to be at So Francisco Alvarez, yeah. maybe he's a 50-50 at catcher guy, but he hasn't played at DH yet. That was one thing that we mentioned in yesterday's podcast where maybe he plays and this is starting to feel a little Ray's slash Dodgers-y mm-hmm. to me, except like a so much. one of them's not playing left field yet. Well, so. and a much sweatier version of it, right? Like this is a $250 million team. That might be conservative. It might be underselling how much they're actually spending on this roster right now.
1: I think you are, <laughs> uh, and they're in fourth place. They are currently in third. I've got it open. Play, like this is this yeah. is a team that like,
2: I guess finals or World Series or bust is always tough to uh, to actually do in Major League Baseball. But like, this is about as close to a World Series or bust team as you can get, given what Mark uh, what Stephen Cohen has invested in the team. And it might just be like we've seen with the Dodgers with Gavin Lux and like we've seen with the Rays with every top prospect who's not an immediate superstar. It might be a situation where they're just like, we're going to do what it takes to win games now in May. And if it's not necessarily the absolute best thing for Brett Beatty's fantasy value, certainly, but also just his long-term development, maybe they prioritize the short term in a way that doesn't maximize everyone's value I agree. they
3: may see it as a super prospect by the way it's just this is our third baseman it's Beatty Vientos yeah. and it's like this will platoon these guys lefty righty matchups and that's how we're going to do it like you said who cares about the development and playing every single day this is our super prospect on that third base side and we'll figure out all the other guys uh, wherever we need to
1: I agree with what you guys said completely but clearly what they've done to this point has not worked. They are two games yep. under 500. They are six and a half mm-hmm. games behind the Atlanta Braves. So, Welsh, I think you laid it out perfectly. Play Brett Beatty at third base, play Mark Vientos at DH, and have those guys kind of spell Pete Alonso. And I think it works out perfectly. Like, we've seen enough from Dan Vogelbach in his major league career. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of know who he is. So, uh, yeah. I think for now, Vientos is like a deeper league ad. But if he starts to get consistent playing time over the next week or so, then he could work his way into, you know, must add territory. Welsh, let's go over to you. Oh, my goodness gracious, from Wednesday.
3: Matthew Libertor. Made that debut and looked all the part of everything that people were screaming about. I mean, we had a lot of people screaming, "Where's Matthew Liberatore? He's not one of the big, sexy pitching prospects, but everyone wanted to see him." And guess what? He came up and he did his thing. Fastball was up over a mile and a half. So we got, you know, we've had some of the AAA data, but uh, getting in here in the majors, we can see the the velo was actually up, and it was a mile and a half up. Everything was getting thrown harder. His sinker, his slider, the effectiveness of it. He actually kind of laid off the slider and change up in this game he went really heavy fastball and curveball curveball had a 31% whiff rate the fastball had a 35% whiff rate overall it ended up being a 28% CSW but that curveball I love I was checking this out too and uh we'll see how accurate this is because actually I looked at Kodai Senga's stack cast page and I was like this can't be right then but where I'm going with it is in this game If you watched it, Matthew Libertor's curveball just dies and sinks, and it looks like it should go 12 miles above, and it just breaks back down. It's just a nasty uh, curveball. It had a max vertical break of 67, and he averaged 64 inches, by the way. 64 inches was the average vertical break on his curveball, and I went and looked over at Statcast. On the most movement and the biggest movement of a curveball this year, yeah, It apparently, is registered to Chris Bassett at seventy point six vertical inches. By the way, why did I get confused earlier? Statcast says that Kodai Senga had ninety six inches of vertical break on his curveball. I don't, I don't know if that's correct. That's insane. But the actual like, leaderboard <laughs> data shows, yeah, that's, I'm not sure that's, that's <laughs> correct. Math, <laughs> that yeah, like that's interesting. We're gonna like, have to maybe fix that, but. Uh, on it's like it my softball se- pitches. So, yeah, exactly. 70.6 is the biggest vertical movement on a curveball this year. So that 67 would put him in the top 10. Well, of all the pitchers in that top 10 uh, between starters – he would have the fastest average fastball of any player. And you Darvish is in there because he was averaging over 95. So you're talking some of the biggest vertical movement on a curveball that had people buckling and over 30% whiff rate and a guy who was touching 97 and averaging over 95. The list of the players of the actual starters that were in that group, Chris Bassett, Wainwright, you get a lot of the old guys. Rich Hill is in there, but no one has a fastball like what we were seeing out of um, out of Matthew Libertor. The spin numbers were crazy. He had over 3,000 on the curveball in general. The fastball lacked a little bit, but he was commanding. He was confident. That's the big thing I got out of it. The fastball popped bigger than it's ever done before. I think the curveball is a true, true swing and miss pitch. And he really didn't show off the rest of his offerings because they were working so well. Mm-hmm. So I actually walked away really impressed with Matthew Libertor. I don't want to get all nutty about it because it's like... Pfft, Every guy that comes up, we see, we're like, oh my God, Tanner Bybee and the current and all that. But, you know, Libertor of all these players has the most experience and unfortunately had pitched, you know, across three years in AAA. He's been there. He's done it. He knows this team. The team knows him. He worked on the things they wanted him to. The, one of the big things was being able to pitch up effectively high in the zone. He did it. And if you watch the broadcast, they said they wanted to see his velo maintain in the game. And that is what he has done all yeah, season. So all the work he's done leads me to think even though there wasn't a rotation spot there this is the type of outing that they, they got to push steven Matz off because i think he checked every single box looked great and that curveball is going to be something uh, i don't know if it's going to be lodolo like from last year
2: but it feels lodolo like and how effective it was so i was very encouraged and yeah. he he talked about how he added 20 pounds uh this off season mostly muscle presumably and that's helped him with the yeah. velocity jump the the quote was, you can't shoot a cannon out of a canoe, which was a... I like the I like the I got, visual there. Um, I got messaged about that. Uh, that's called a Welshism, uh, where you
3: take two <laughs> different analogies and you kind of mush them together. So yeah. I'm definitely going to hear a lot of that the next 24
2: hours. I, I'll i say, like, the fact that he only threw the two pitches primarily, it was 87% of his pitches were four seam and yeah. curveball. And just the fact that his AAA numbers are sort of pedestrian, I... I'm going to say the jury's still out, but like if you've got a roster spot to play with, absolutely add him. You know, I I think that's that's clear. I just, you know, I wouldn't put him on the same level as that group of four rookies we were talking about earlier. And I'm not dumping him either. I think that's the key
3: point. I think everything that happened here was great and you should feel encouraged. But it comes with a caveat. Like I said, the guy's been pitching in AAA since 2021. That's not great. But He's made all of the changes. They have been a disaster in how they've managed their pitchers. So we should be cautiously optimistic, though we don't need to be like, hey, you know, should I drop Tanner Bybee for him? No, I'm going to go with the rest of the crew. The answer is the other guys. But Matthew Libertor should absolutely be picked up and is going to cause probably a little wrinkle in fab this weekend because I don't think he's scheduled to pitch until, I think it would be Monday. So that was your start to make the decision unless the Cardinals tell us otherwise.
1: And this is a beat the waiver wire situation too, where if you have waivers that run before Sunday or just an open waiver system it looks like uh, he's going to be a two-star pitcher at the Reds and at Cleveland next week if Matthew Libertor does indeed stick around I agree Welsh I think that they have to keep him around the way that the rest of that Cardinals pitching staff has been such a huge letdown so far this season I agree with you guys that the the first four rookies that we spoke about earlier those guys are clearly ahead of Libertor but then where does he fit among this next group of Logan Allen Taj Bradley, who is returning to the race rotation and will start on Thursday, and uh, Grayson Rodriguez and Brandon Fott. So four more names there. Grayson Rodriguez, Fott, Taj Bradley, and Logan Allen. Welsh, where would you kind of place Libertor in that group?
3: My initial feeling is at the bottom, but... Um you know like i'm not going to make a big i'm not going to be the big defender anymore brandon fought. like i was very encouraged with his last start so like i could make that move maybe there's even better team the cardinals are getting things together so like i could justify better team context with libertor not a, i'm not doing him over taj my safe answer is going to be he is the bottom of that list but maybe one or two i could make the argument for
1: yeah i think i would put the put taj at the top of that list then logan allen right. And then I think I would go liberator and then fought and then actually Grayson Rodriguez on the bottom. I think if we see one more Crazy. bad start, it would not surprise me if he's uh, sent back down to triple A uh, towers. We are 20 minutes in. but Why don't you give <laughs> us your oh my goodness gracious player or players? Uh, Yeah,
2: sorry. I'm you no know, Graham Ashcraft was my uh, was my player and and also taiwan walker 55 percent rostered. he didn't get out of the first inning in this one his era is up to 6.5 i think he'll be better than that but if you have taiwan walker on your roster unless it's an nl only league I, i don't see any reason to hang on to him right now even you 15 team leagues the upside's not nearly high enough graham ashcraft is a really tough one because obviously there was a lot of hype around him coming into the season a lot of it Coming from this podcast, we all liked what uh, we saw from him as far as you know, introducing potentially a sweeper or changing the dimensions of his slider. He kind of still looks like the same guy he was last year, though. And that's a guy who throws really hard, who garners a lot of uh, pitching ninja gifs, but who just isn't very good. I mean, today it's hard to hold it against him, right? Five innings, seven earned runs. It was in course field. That happens to good pitchers. You can't really... A long-standing position I've held is you can't really judge a start at course field good or bad, right? You just kind of throw it out and say, this is just... It's such a different environment. But Ashcraft, he does some things well still. He really does suppress hard contact very well. He is hard to barrel up. The problem is... 18% strikeout rate, 11% walk rate, the strikeout rate slightly up from last year, but also the walk rates up. Yeah. I, I don't think his four, eight, four ERA is a mistake. And I don't want to give up on a guy who throws a 98 mile an hour cutter, but at some point you got to do something with that cutter. And we've seen 153 innings of Graham Ashcraft at the major league level, where he's got a four, eight, seven ERA and what about six K per nine? You got to think about cutting him. Like if Matthew Libertor out there yep. and I'm not even that high, on Matthew Libertor. I think you consider it. I, I think you probably just go ahead and pull the trigger on it. I, I would if make Todd. If Todd Bradley's out there, absolutely Ooh, yeah, drop great mass for him.
1: Yeah, Taj is 74% rostered, so could be floating around there in some shallower 10 or 12-team leagues. I would make that swap. I would drop Ashcraft for Liberator as well. He's down to 76% rostered. He's got a 13.39 ERA over his last three starts. The weird part is he still ranks 6th in Eno Saris' Stuff Plus metric, so... Clearly there's something there. It's just a matter of turning it into whiffs. We have not seen that happen yet for Mm -hmm. Graham Ashcraft. So I'd be all right dropping him for those names. Uh, Either of the twins pitchers who we talk about a lot, Bailey Ober, Louis Varland, I would be okay dropping Ashcraft for either of those as well. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll talk about Dustin May's injury. Uh, Taj Bradley, we already kind of talked about that. But uh, yeah, we'll get to both of those things right after this. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. This weekend, CBS heads to a major tournament when the world's best golfers descend on the legendary Oak Hill Country Club, with the winner taking home the coveted Wanamaker Trophy at the PGA Championship. Live coverage on Saturday and Sunday begins at 1 Eastern, the PGA Championship this weekend on CBS. Let's talk about Dustin May, guys, and it's the latest arm injury for a pitcher. We saw Drew Rasmussen happen last week. Now Dustin May left his start Wednesday after just 16 pitches with right elbow pain. Did have Tommy John surgery back in 2021. Missed most of last year rehabbing from that injury and so far was off to a great start this season. Turns out that his UCL is still intact, but Dustin May will receive a PRP injection in an effort to avoid surgery. And if all goes according to plan, they're saying he could be back in four to six weeks. Not sure that I buy that completely. I think if we do see Dustin May, it's probably in the second half of the season. Welsh, the question now becomes, everyone's asking me, do we get one of Gavin Stone or Bobby Miller to replace uh, Dustin May here in the Dodgers' rotation? Oh, well, I was ready to be
3: like, "Do we hold on to Dustin May?" I'd be like, yeah. no, you can probably. answer that
1: too. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I mean,
3: like. He did def- definitely had a good like uh, surface level season, but the strikeout numbers were just becoming alarming, and he, he was getting away with a lot of stuff. But I, I mean, I'm not holding on. If I had a short amount of IL, I'm probably not holding on to a lot of the fringe guys like Mason Miller. But by Dustin May, if it was short IL, I would probably be willing to move off of that. I also don't think this is going to end very well, but. Um, That's a great question on the guy that's going to come up. You know, Gavin Stone's first foray was not great, but he just relatively, I think his last start turned in his best start of the season, 10 strikeouts. I tend to feel that they would give him another shot before Bobby Miller because Bobby Miller started the season off uh, a little bit late. He has put up some incredibly great Stuff Plus numbers, but I don't think statistically that's all been there. So I'm going to lean to Gavin Stone getting another shot because I don't think this is necessarily like we got to see what the next guy does, even though the Dodgers do have next guys Bobby Miller is one I've been screaming about Emmett Sheehan he had a killer start I believe it was tonight or the night before another 10 strikeouts he went five but he's only in double a so I don't think they're quite in the stage of let's see all the you know the bullets that we've got I think they know the one I think they've got that and I think Gavin Stone will be the guy that gets the first crack but if he falls apart then I do think that uh, Bobby Miller would be the next man up
1: Bobby Miller by the way did make a start on Wednesday night had his best start of the season In the minors, six innings, one run, six strikeouts to one walk, and even with that, a 565 ERA in four starts so far. So the stuff plus numbers look really good for Bobby Miller, but the overall numbers, the surface level numbers, have not been great. I tend to agree. I think uh, if we do see one of these guys come up to replace Dustin May, it will be Gavin Stone. And for now, I think I would rank him behind all of the rookies we've talked about so far. I just think, you know, we need to see something from him again uh, before we get yeah. overly excited and not an arm injury, but worth mentioning Dolo's disaster season continues as an MRI revealed a stress ra- reaction in his tibia. He's in a walking boot and will be reevaluated in two weeks. And that all but assures Brandon Williamson will probably stick around for a few more starts at least. And he looked really good in his uh, first start there in Coors Field. Taj Bradley mentioned it a little bit earlier, but uh, he will rejoin the Rays rotation on Thursday to start against the Mets And he was excellent in three starts with the Rays earlier this season But has been dreadful since returning to the minors here Uh, towers What are your thoughts on this like the way that they've handled Taj Bradley and the numbers being so bad down in the minors? It's you know, let's say you play in a daily league Are you just throwing him out there again as first start back here with the Mets Uh, going up against the Mets rather?
2: I think I'd prefer not to start him, given how bad the starts in AAA were. But this is one of those things that, like the human element, you can't really account for, right? Like this guy comes up and lights up the majors. 18 or uh, what was it? Hold on, let me make sure. 13 strikeouts and 16 innings. No, sorry, 23 strikeouts and 15 and a third innings. 3.52 ERA over his three starts. Got three wins. And then getting sent back down, you know, like that's the 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 Rays are a smart organization. They do all these things to eke out marginal advantages. But like that, that's tough for a 22 year old to deal with. And you just hope it didn't wreck his confidence. Right. Like you just it's it's hard to say one way or the other. But the, the thing that was so weird about him coming up and being so overwhelmingly dominant was he hadn't been nearly that good in his time at triple A, he hadn't been bad by any means, but like last season when he got the call up to triple A, he was very young, but only 8.1 K per nine, 1.5 home runs per nine. Like he had some struggles. And and when he got called up, I I wasn't a hundred percent sure he was going to be an immediate difference maker. So like, was this just a, a really good three starts did sending him down, screw something up. I think there are a lot of questions uh, to be answered, but if he's available in in any of your leagues, 74% rostered, he's an absolute must start or must add at the very least.
3: Also want to throw just one thing out. So I talked last uh, we talked about Bradley about how it looked like they were changing things in the minors about pitch mix and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I think that had a lot to do with it. His last start, because I had given you the other two starts, his last start was on the 11th. It took me that entire time you were talking, by the way, took me the whole time to get to its baseball. it's the most ridiculous thing on the planet. But I got there to his minor league start. He was an even 37 to 37 percent cutter fastball, which was a little bit closer to what he was doing in the minor. So maybe they acquiesced a little bit because it looked like he was like down you know, at least 10% in both of his previous starts on the cutter. The changeup was at 21%, but you want to talk about effectiveness, the curveball's gone. I'm I guarantee you the Rays wanted that curveball done. Enos uh, Enosaris confirmed that the lowest of the stuff plus of his pitches was his curveball. Mm-hmm. We saw it in the majors, yet When he got sent down, that pitch has been not more than, I don't think he's thrown more than three in a single game so far in the entire minors. Yeah, he threw three in this one. So it is cutter fastball changeup. So the pitch mix has changed, it's been continuous. So he's going in. I think that has maybe a little bit to do with this, but the Rays obviously
2: feel confident. No more curveball. This is one of those things that's always so tough when we're talking about guys getting called up. And we've we've talked a lot about how hard it's been to translate minor league numbers to the majors so far this season and really the last couple of seasons. And part of it's just like, we don't know when someone is genuinely struggling versus when the organization is just telling them, we don't care about results. We care about the process and what you're working on. Yeah. And that could be what we're seeing with Todd Bra- Taj Bradley, but it's from the outside, at least it's impossible to know. Yeah.
1: All right. Let's move over to some other waiver wire pitchers and, you know, young pitchers in their own right, who I do believe have some ups- upside. Brian Bayo, a little bit wild in this one against the Mariners, but uh did put together a solid start. Five innings, one run, five walks, seven strikeouts, 19 swinging strikes on 107 pitches. That's two starts in a row where Brian Bayo has had at least 15 swinging strikes and over his last four starts, he's got a 2.57 ERA, only 33% rostered. Kyle Bradish has put together two strong starts in a row up against the Angels, six and two thirds, one run, five strikeouts in that one and has really leaned on his slider over the past three starts. He's thrown it at least 30% of the time in each of those. Edward Cabrera had his first start of the season with zero walks five innings two runs six strikeouts to zero walks 18 swinging strikes we know that Edward Cabrera has ridiculous stuff It's can he throw for strikes and in this start he was able to do that So 63% roster for Cabrera the problem next week It looks like two start week at the Rockies and at the Angels So even with how good this start looked I I don't think that I can get involved there Uh, towers How are you ranking this group Bayo, Bradish and Cabrera?
2: Bayo, Bradish, and Cabrera. I'll stick with Cabrera at the top and then I'll go Bayo over Bradish. But it could be a situation where it depends on what the matchups look like, right? Because I think Bradish is someone when he's pitching at home, Baltimore is a very good p- place to pitch. I'd probably prioritize starting him over Bayo, but I would rather have Bayo on my roster if I didn't need to start one. Um, next week, home versus Texas at the Yankees for Bradish. If you're looking to add one of them, I think you could probably safely go with Bayo just because I don't think you're going to feel too comfortable starting Bradish given those matchups. Cabrera, I mean, it's it's the wildest thing. It's so weird, and I say it every time we talk about him, it's so weird that he can't throw his fastball for strikes. That would be the one pitch you should be able to throw for strikes, that, but that's the biggest problem for Edward Cabrera, and tonight he just didn't throw his fastball. That's not literally true. He threw 26% of the time, has four seam and, and sinker. But that's, I mean, can you guys remember a start? For a pitcher who doesn't throw like a cutter as their primary fastball, like Corbin Burns or uh, Graham Ashcraft, I can't remember seeing 26% fastball usage. Um, no. that's That's wild. And maybe that's the answer, right? Maybe that's just... He can throw his changeup. He can throw his curveball for strikes when he wants to, and maybe it's just uh, as easy as don't throw the fastballs often. But it's also a, a Nationals lineup that's pretty easy to overpower. So I don't want to overreact too much. Um, right. But like this is the thing with with Cabrera is we've we've said every time we talk about him, I don't want to start him, but I can't drop him because if it if the light clicks on, the stuff is so overpowering that. He could be really, really good. It's just, is this the start of that? It's too early to say, but I'm I'm optimistic. I wonder if this is the start of that.
3: By the way, you know, you're mentioning he doesn't throw it. 38% zone percentage for a four-seam fastball. That's what that was in in the little he threw, which is horrid. But 75% zone percentage on the sinker, which he only threw eight. But, you know, maybe they're tinkering around and, you know, get rid of it's a pitch mix change. Maybe stop throwing the four seam as much lean a little bit more in the sinker. I'd be curious to see if the sinker comes up a little bit more in the next start and go to the secondaries, because if he's this guy, it's Cabrera versus all these guys without a question. The problem is it's like, it's Jekyll and Hyde. And if this is going to stick, if this is going to stick, I'm here for it for Cabrera. I don't believe it will, but I'm kind of yeah. here for it. And I think like, you, the mix you said of guys is kind of the order of them, by the way.
2: Look at, I mean, it, you look at the numbers for the, the changeup and curveball. F- he, he uses a changeup and curveball more than any other pitch for the season. 40% whiff rate, 279 expected Woba allowed for the changeup. 38% whiff rate, 305 expected woba allowed with the curveball. I mean, those are elite numbers for both of those pitches and it, it might be just like man, throw those pitches 70% of the time and see what happens. I yeah, wonder using fastball to set it up, just set that yeah, stuff up with a, with a sinker, with like a sinker.
1: I wonder if he almost throws too hard, right? And just can't command his fastball yeah. because he throws it so hard and obviously takes a little bit off for the changeup and he's able to presumably command that pitch a little bit better and you read off the numbers. The curveball is awesome too. It's he has all the talent in the world, Edward Cabrera. It's just a matter of consistency. So I agree. Like I, I, think I want to hold him on the bench, but like all these other pitching prospects are emerging and stuff. I get why it's tough. If you you can't hold on to a guy if you can't start him so uh, it's a little bit tougher for him in deeper leagues rich hill was great at the tigers six shutout with seven strikeouts not sure if you guys saw the race to the first base between uh rich <laughs> hill and miguel Cabrera. it's like 4 2 40 year olds just like pouring out their heart i feel like they should have that song in in movies like that slow song din 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 and they're both just like running to first base in slow motion. I actually would have like a da, da 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 da. I can't think of the song, but it's
3: like that <laughs> magical like run to the finish line one. It's just like uh, I don't know. But there, yeah. There's no, a that's... lot of good things with it. It was a it was a pretty magical moment of uh, old geezers by the way. <laughs> uh, in it, baseball. It,
2: it looked like when I when I hit a chopper to third base in softball, and I, I try to beat <laughs> it out. That's that's what it looked like. Mm. Uh,
1: well, I say all this because Rich Hill has actually pitched pretty well this year. Three point eight zero ERA, nearly a strikeout per inning. And Luis Medina has actually turned in back-to-back quality starts for the Oakland A's. Six innings, three runs, six strikeouts up against the Diamondbacks. Uh, Welsh, deeper leagues here. Anything on Rich Hill, he's up against Texas next week, and Medina looks like he would have two starts against the Astros and Mariners.
3: Uh, I don't want any part of any of those starts, but I do think Rich Hill is a spot starter. I'm very dicey on Luis Medina. I liked him a couple years ago. His problem has consistently been able to... um, throw for strikes, which he's doing a little bit better. He had a 56% zone percentage on the fastball, throws it around 60% of the time, not getting great whiffs or anything on it. So the other secondary has got to play. I don't think the slider is that great. So I think they're both, uh, I think he's specifically a very mediocre pitcher that I would be very, very tenuous about who I start him with. Rich Hill, I do think has a little bit better
2: like spot start, but it's not against Texas. All right. And I saw something that the, we haven't mentioned, I don't think, but the Pirates as an organization or as a team I guess uh, at the major league level are throwing I think it's throwing breaking balls more often than any pitch in the cast era than any other team in the stackcast era really so it's a significant organization which is you know you think back 3 or 4 years ago this was a team that you know was having Mitch Keller throw like 80% fastballs so it's been a yeah. a significant shift um and, you know, we, we've had a lot of surprising per- pitching performances from the from the Pirates that might explain at least some of it.
1: If you think about their personnel, too, it's Rowanze Contreras throws like 50% sliders mm-hmm. and Johan Oviedo throws the slider as his most used pitch. So uh, it makes some sense. Not that those guys have gotten the, the best results, but it is an interesting organizational organizational shift. Um, a few waiver wire hitters I wanted to mention. For the last time, I am begging you, if he's available in your league, I don't care what size league, you need to add Christopher Morel. Three yeah. for five with his fifth home run. He now has five homers in eight games played. He's betting 371 with a 1246 OPS. He's up to 74% rostered. If you lost Jazz Chisholm, this is mm-hmm. literally the perfect replacement for Jazz Chisholm. So go out and check. And even in a points league, I don't care. Christopher Morel should not be available in your league. A few outfielders that uh, sprung up here on Wednesday. Ramon Laureano went one for four with a three-run homer. In six games since returning from that neck injury, he's got six hits, two homers, five runs, and four RBI. Jorge Soler looks like he's kind of getting into one of those modes right now. One for three with a walk and his 11th home run. In the month of May, he's batting .273 with six homers and a 962 OPS. Jose Siri back to back games with a homer, three in his past five games. Uh towers. We spoke about Siri recently. If he was dropped in deeper leagues, for example, he was dropped in my NFBC main event league. That's a fifteen team, five outfielder league. Yeah. Like Jose Siri should not be available in a league like that. I agree um, with that. And Jorge Soler, I recently moved him inside my top fifty outfielders. So yeah, I mean, anywhere with five outfielders or you know, even in a twelve team points league, like I could see picking up Solaire and using him as like a utility bat or something. So,
3: Frank, what would you prioritize, Solaire or Morel?
1: I would go with Morel. Yeah, I, I think the overall skill set is is more interesting there with the power and the speed. But uh, look, it could just come down to what you need, right? Like, if it's just power that you're looking for, Solair is going to give it to you. But in a vacuum, I would go with Morel.
2: I, I'm not going to be on the show tomorrow, but I'm going to help Scott get a head start on his research for the. Week nine hitting planner, Jorge Soler will be one of the ten sleeper hitters. Absolutely. for next week, the Marlins play four games at course Field. Seven, he's games red total, hot. Yeah, uh, yeah mm. he he might be the number one sleeper hitter, and he should be roster. I mean, at least next week, I think he sh- Jorge Soler should be started absolutely everywhere. And honestly, sixty percent rostered, probably too low. I've got him in some, somewhere top forty-eight uh, outfielder. So I'm with you on that one, Frank. And just it. it it looks like he's having one of those seasons. I don't think he's going to hit 48 home runs again like he did in 2019. Was it longer ago than that? I think it was, longer, it was a while ago, but yeah. Uh, but, you know, he, he seems like he's on a pretty, you know, like a 30 plus 35 homer ish type of pace this year.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, Marlins lineup to see how many sleeper hitters are going to be in Scott's, uh, well, Scott's article. <laughs> I mean, there's not many, but maybe, maybe Garrett Cooper. He's yeah. back. I was thinking uh, maybe Garrett Cooper, Brian De La Cruz, something like yeah, that. But, uh, I was about
2: to say De La Cruz would be one I would throw in there, maybe. Yeah. yeah L- Hazel Sanchez and uh, Jess Chisholm going on the IL doesn't help that lineup.
1: Yeah. I picked up Peyton Burdick in my uh, NL only mm. Labor League. So, uh, yeah, let's go, mm. Marlins. Let's take our final break when we return. I've got some news, some leftovers. We'll do all that right after this. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember
0: when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Big thanks to everybody watching us live right now. We are past 1 a.m. Eastern time, 586 people watching us live, so please hit that thumbs up, like this video if you haven't already, and thanks for hanging out. We really appreciate it. Some news and notes from Wednesday, Further imaging revealed a fracture in Manny Machado's left hand. Bob Melvin expect, expressed optimism that Machado might be able to avoid a stint on the IL, mm. but no decision has been made yet. I'm gonna go no, out there and uh, what I want to hear. I'm gonna go out there and say I, I, I think this is probably gonna wind up in an yeah. IL stint, and maybe it's the best thing for Machado right now because many people have pointed out the Statcast page is abysmal. It's ice blue all over the place. There's Clearly something wrong with Machado right now, he's kinda going through it, so maybe some time on the IL, clear his mind, get healthy, come back, and and hopefully get things going. But uh, yeah, my guess is he will wind up on the IL. Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s MRI on his right knee came back negative, he wasn't in the lineup Wednesday, but appears to have avoided anything serious. Jose Altuve could return to the Astros lineup this Friday against the A's. Luis Severino will make his season debut this Sunday in Cincinnati. Eloy Jimenez hopes to return by the end of next week. He's been out since May 6th because of an appendectomy. I would... Send some by low offers right now uh, before Elo is back, if you can afford to wait that week or so. Yandy Diaz has missed two straight with left groin tightness, but hopes to return on Thursday. Tristan McKenzie will begin a rehab assignment at AAA on Saturday. He's slated to throw either three innings or 50 pitches, whichever happens first. Domingo Herman has been suspended 10 games for violating the league's foreign s- substance policy. True story. Uh, it was my mom's birthday on Wednesday, so I, I went over to my parents' house. We're having cake, and I'm um, explaining to them the situation with Domingo Herman. My mom straight up just says. He should be fired, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, mom, do you know how this works? Like, we're Yankees fans. You're not supposed to say that. She's like, nope. He's a cheater. He should be fired. I'm like, does she do it all, Vince McMahon? Like, <laughs> like you're fired. Honestly, it wasn't far off. Like, that, that was <laughs> nice. that was about as close as, as you can get. Uh, but yeah, that's that's Mama Stanfield's thoughts on Domingo Herman. Jacalio Stanton is close to beginning a rehab assignment. He's about a month into a projected four to six week timeline with a left hamstring strain. Tyler Glass now is likely to make another rehab start before rejoining the race rotation. Carlos Rodon advanced his throwing to 90 feet Wednesday without issue. He had the cortisone shot last week. It's we're playing it safe seeing where it goes. Liam Hendricks. That's a Ron Burgundy like
3: I don't believe you. Yeah. I don't believe you. I don't believe anything coming out of uh Carlos uh, Rodon camp.
1: I have him on my most important team Welsh so I'm just Crossing my fingers and, and praying luck. and hoping Rodon. Hold on to impact. your butts. Yep. Liam Hendricks won't be activated this week. He's temporarily paused his rehab assignment and will head to Chicago for a meeting with White Sox management. Obviously, we hope everything is all right. But if he has to miss more time, it appears that uh, Kendall Graveman has taken over that closers role for the White Sox. Graveman pitched in the ninth inning with a 7-2 to lead on Wednesday night. Of course, one day after telling people to go trade for Jorge Polanco, he's been diagnosed with a mild left hamstring strain. Wade Miley was placed in the IL with a strained left lat. Christian Jelic has missed two straight with back tightness, which is very worrisome, given his history of back injuries. Jorge Mateo out of the lineup due to leg soreness, but is expected back on Thursday. Joey Gallo was removed on Wednesday after fouling a ball off his leg. X-rays came back negative. Adam Duvall, who's on the IL with a fracture in his left wrist, is aiming to return. When first eligible on June 9th, he's 64% rostered, so if you do have an IL spot available, he was crushing it earlier in the season. And frankly, the Red Sox are one of the best lineups in baseball, so uh, I would try and get Adam Duvall on my roster if he's available. Dylan Carlson was placed in the IL with a left ankle sprain, retroactive to May 15th. Alec Thomas was optioned to AAA. Luis Frias was recalled. Uh, Welsh. How do you think things kind of play out here with the Diamondbacks outfield? Are they just full bore with, you know, Corbin Carroll, Lourdes Gurriel, and Dominic Fletcher for the meantime?
3: I think that they might explore. They might play the game. Luis Luis Frias is garbage. He uh, gave up immediately three runs as soon as he came in. Uh, ruined Ryan Nelson's game. I, this is one of those like deep guys I've been throwing out there. They did it with Dom Fletcher. Look for Dominic Canzone. I'm not saying they're going to do this, but Dominic Canzone has been one of my guys. He's been... Uh, they love Dominics, apparently, and I'll pull up. <laughs> but Dominic Canzone has had a really good minor league season, a little bit older, uh, hits the ball really hard. It's another freaking lefty. But he's hitting 308 with 10 homers, a 12% K rate, a 12% walk rate he's got in A right now. And um, this is a big bat. This is unlike the other guys. So The other guys are kind of like little smaller stature, a lot of contact. Dominic Fletcher's playing over his head. I I wonder, I mean, I think what they got works right now and they might not mess with stuff, but I wouldn't be surprised if Frias is kicked out and they want to give Dominic Canzone a shot, you know, and they can move uh, Lourdes Gurriel, Gurriel a little bit, but I do think, Unlike the flavor uh, we were talking about with uh, testing and testing out guys like the Dodgers with their rotation, I think the Diamondbacks might play around and test with the rest of the outfield, and the next one would be Dominic Canzone. Otherwise, yes, this is it. This is the main one, but Canzone, I think, might be the next guy they got. They test.
2: By the way, I I think uh, Alec Thomas is pretty young. He might just be a platoon bat. He had a 471 OPS against lefties last season in the majors. This is not a joke. He has a 107 OPS against them this season. 14 strikeouts and 38 plate appearances. He's one for 36 against lefties with a single single. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yanni Torinos was an option to AAA. Zach Birdie was recalled by the Rays. Joey Meneses was placed on the paternity list. And the Padres change up the top of their lineup. Uh, they let off Xander Bogarts, Jake Cronenworth, Fernando Tatis, and Juan Soto. Juan Soso now batting cleanup for the Padres. A few leftovers, studs and near studs in action here on Wednesday. Chris Bassett stays hot against the Yankees. Seven shutout with seven strikeouts. Remember opening day, the world was crumbling around Chris Bassett. 27 straight scoreless innings. That is the third longest streak in Blue Jays history and an eight starts since that opening day stinker. 172 ERA, 48 strikeouts, over 52 and two thirds innings for Chris Bassett. Garrett Cole turns in another quality start at the Blue Jays, six shutout with six strikeouts in that one. Corbin Burns turns in a mid quality start at the Cardinals, six innings, three runs, seven strikeouts for him. And uh, Nathan Avaldi another quality start as well. Tough task going up against the Atlanta Braves, seven innings, three runs, five strikeouts with 12 swinging strikes. I recently moved Nathan Avaldi inside of my top 40 starting pitchers, which I realize might be aggressive, but he's healthy. He's changed up the pitch mix. Pitching for a really good team, I'm pretty pumped about Nathan Avaldi right now. Uh, Towers, anything to add on Avaldi, Corbin Burns, Garrett Cole, and Chris Bassett?
2: Yeah, Avaldi's 42 for me, so I'm not far off. It's, it's tough to get him much higher than that though, because the guys I have right ahead of him are all really good, and frankly, might be underrated by my rankings as well. Lance Lynn, Mitch Keller, Jesus Lizardo, Hunter Brown any of those guys could move up pretty significantly as well. So it's tough to to get Evaldi too much higher. But like you said, change up the pitch mix. We saw it in this start. The splitter was his most used pitch. That's been a trend over the last couple of starts. It's been really effective for him. So that's something to keep an eye on. And um, Chris Bassett just, you know, his velocity was like four miles per hour down early on in, in spring training, it was a big concern. Uh, and then the first couple of starts, the walk rate still high over the course of the whole season, but has been lower over the last couple of starts starting to look a little more like Chris Bassett. Obviously the 27 inning uh, scoreless streak is going to help that, but yeah, I, I'm feeling pretty good about Chris Bassett being the guy we we've gotten used to over the past couple of seasons. I Corbin Burns, I've taken him out of the number one spot and Garrett Cole has taken over Spencer Strider's number two. I most recent update had Justin Verlander just ahead of Corbin Burns. I I think, I don't know how I feel about that one. Uh, And then Shane McClanahan's right there. I think he could easily jump Corbin Burns as well, but I definitely don't want to say like you should sell Corbin Burns while his name value still has value because I'm also very, very much of the belief that he could figure things out and look like the the number one starting pitcher very quickly. You know, we've, we've seen that over the past, I mean, really three seasons at this point.
1: Yeah. Corbin Burns, he's been good, but he hasn't been Corbin Burns good. Yeah. You know, the swinging strike rate is down this year. The walks he's, are up.
2: He's so. just been good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I still have him at SP4, but yeah, there's an argument that all of like Zach Gallen and Kevin Gosman yeah. and even Zach Wheeler's kind of turned it around. Like all those names should be ahead of Corbin Burns. And if if you said they were higher in your rankings, then I can't blame you. A few other pitching performances. Drew Smiley was awesome at the Astros. Six innings, one run, eight strikeouts. He has a 2.86 ERA and a .93 WHIP. And I say this all the time about Cubs pitchers. I, I just feel like they're going to be that team this year that outperforms peripherals and underlying metrics because they have a really really great defense behind them and right now I think that's something that is helping drew smiley Eduardo Rodriguez was human he uh, you know had one of his worst starts of the season and with that It's not like he got blown up or anything five innings four runs five strikeouts up against the Pirates Uh, Did not have the cutter in this one zero whiffs a 12 percent CSW and seems very clearly that was the uh, issue there for Eduardo Rodriguez A few hitting leftovers. Chris Bryant went two for four with a walk and two RBI. We have not talked about Chris Bryant all season, but he's been pretty mediocre. 297 batting average, only five homers. The counting stats are not there. That Rockies lineup is pretty bad. Uh, Only 16 runs and 16 RBI. 129 ISO is a career low, not hitting for much power. Uh, Welsh, any thoughts on Chris Bryant?
3: Yeah, I'm pretty shocked about it. That was one of the guys I had as like a preseason return because, you know, he was making good contact. The power numbers just weren't there. Uh, I don't know if there's a it's a new approach to make sure that, you know, he is making consistent contact and it's kind of taken away the power. But, yeah, he's not the same guy and he's... um, I mean, he's a, I think he's a good filler outfielder, if that makes sense. Like, he he's not an impact outfielder. I'd also don't want to call him, like, the bottom of the bench. He's just a solid filler guy that you're hoping is going to jump into a streak with cores. You know, it's going to have one of those 12 homer months that are coming up. But uh, I'm not insanely optimistic that you're going to get much more than this Chris Bryant that you're seeing right now.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's probably more power coming. And I think like a high batting average is a reasonable expectation given the course field and and the fact that, you know, he's become not like the big power guy. He's more of like a consistent line drive pole side hitter, but there will be more power than there has been. I feel pretty confident in that this this it, the counting stats are a little weird just because, yes, it's a bad lineup, but it's also half the games and cores you would think more than. 32 RBI plus runs in 40 something games or 40 ish games. So I think he'll be better than this moving forward.
1: True story. I was planning to do a segment today uh, about how James Outman has completely slowed down. He's <laughs> fallen off a cliff. And then he had this monster game two for four with a grand sock and a shoe. His ninth home run, his fifth steal of the season. His previous 19, 19 games before this, 180 batting average with a 41% strikeout rate. So. The question is, oh, well, do we try to sell James Outman after this? I think we just have to recalibrate our expectations. Or maybe I do. I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but you know, it's I see this awesome start to the season. I'm like, wow, James Outman is a stud. And then it's like, all right, let's remember, this is a rookie, right? There's going to be ups and downs. He's going to go through stretches where he looks really good. He's going to look bad, and he's got to make adjustments, and he's got to get back on track. But you know, hopefully, this monster game is something that could get him back on track moving forward. Corbin Carroll went one for four with his sixth home run. And in his previous 12 games since returning from that knee injury, Carroll was batting 205 with a 680 OPS and a 59% ground ball rate. Welsh, it might just be the same exact thing that I said about James Outman, right? Like, Corbin Carroll is still a rookie. He got off to this fantastic start. I don't know if there is, like, any blame on the knee injury, but, you know, what have you seen from Corbin Carroll? I know you watch him very closely.
3: Yeah, I mean, one thing that's really frustrating, and I don't know, I thought it was just him, but I think it's the whole team. Uh, They're not running anymore. The Diamondbacks have stopped running. In the beginning of the season, uh, or in April, the Diamondbacks were top, I think they were the seventh Uh, most stolen base attempts by a team in baseball in May, they're down to 16 Corbin Carroll walked three times the other day, did not attempt a stolen base, had a single the game before the announcers were like, Oh, Corbin Carroll, he's going to get running. He didn't attempt at one time. I don't know. I I assume there's part of the knee injury. The team isn't at all trying to steal the entire approach, which I think is asinine and it's really stupid and they need to fix it because it keeps people on their toes. Uh, I actually thought Corbin has been struggling with fastballs, but to my shock, he's hitting 315 against fastballs this year. He's got an XBA of 269, um, which is obviously hurting a little bit. Breaking off-speed pitches have kind of given him fits. Uh, He wants to sit high in the zone and – Stuff at the bottom is eating him up. So I I think, like you said with Outman, I I think you just got to let him adjust. His hard hit numbers are still up there. He has a 113 max EV, almost 114 on him this year. Uh, The barrel rate is fine. Everything else is fine. I think he's just still learning the game completely. And I really, really hope for fantasy's sake, that this knee injury gets fixed, and or Torrey Lavello switches it back up and starts stealing again, because for them to be in the bottom half with remember, Xander Bogarts was like talking, they're like talking about the Diamondbacks and how they didn't know how to deal with this team and how fast they were. And now McCarthy's gone, Alec Thomas is gone, Rojas doesn't steal, Corbin Carroll doesn't steal, fastest man on earth not stealing bases. I don't like it.
1: MJ Melendez went two for four with two doubles and in May he's betting 309 with two home runs and five doubles so far the strikeout rate is down and he is crushing the ball and I read an article about how MJ Melendez tweaked his batting stance earlier this month and it seems like uh, the results have been you know paying off there for Melendez Gunnar Henderson went two for four with a triple don't look now he's got a modest five game hitting streak so you know Baby steps, baby steps. Justin Turner, back-to-back multi-hit games with a home run in each. He's having a big May as well. Seiya Suzuki is heating up, went three for four with two walks, three for three rather, with two walks and a double dong. And just so fun to watch. Two of the best outfielders in the game right now, both showing up in the same game. Adolis Garcia going up against Ronald Acuna. Adolis goes two for four with a double dong, both coming off Spencer Strider. And then on the other side, Ronald Acuna, one for four, with a sock and a shoe, rinse and repeat, home runs in four straight games. You know, the disappointment, obviously, is uh, the home run didn't travel 450 feet, so, uh, you know... (laughs) How dare you, this? It was, it was yeah.
2: only like 426 or something.
1: <laughs> that's it.
3: You want to know an interesting little stat on Adoles just real quick? I know we got to go. Uh, we were just talking about him. We had Paul Spor on ITL that's coming up on Thursday. And we we're looking at Adolis Garcia. Last year, Adolis Garcia um, on breaking pitches, yep, that was 199 one was batting average. Yeah, and 199 batting average this year. And, and the mix, by the way, was around 30% of pitches this year. Pitchers have pitched him eight percent more, knowing that he struggled against breaking pitches, presumably sliders. Eight, you don't see that type of pitch mix change. That's a wild uh, pitch mm-hmm. mix change as far as the three categories of baseball savant. Well, it's like a almost two seventy batting average he's adjusted to. It's a wild change. I thought that you know I don't like him sometimes as a hitter, but for pitchers to recognize where to attack and attacking so much more and him still hitting the call and doing better, doing better. And his XBA is actually higher. I believe it's a 271 XBA against those breaking pitches. I thought that was really wild and definitely tells a story about his improved plate discipline.
1: An absolute baller, man. Adolis Garcia, every year it seems like people are doubting him. I'm telling you exactly what will happen I'm next gonna, year. Everyone is in. Everyone's in on Adolis Garcia. That's going to be the year that he's, is. He's
2: the bottom that. falls out. Watch he's gotten a little bit better, like at everything every year though. I mean, obviously it's a small sample size and he's running hot and, you know, remember he had the, I think three Homer game in the, in late April that really, you know, bumped his numbers up and he's held pretty steady since then. But, you know, it's one of those things where like that stat about the breaking pitches was one thing I was going to point out, but just like he's cut the strikeout rate again. He's cut the whiff rate again. He's walking a little bit more. He's hitting, it's like just kind of small marginal changes and, I think he'll slow down from here, but yeah, the definitely seems like a situation where the fantasy community collectively outsmarted
1: ourselves. 46 RBI so far for Adolio Garcia leads the majors, right? Yeah. He entered Wednesday, the fifth best player in Roto slash category leagues and, Might even go up after uh, another big game. Some bullpen updates for the Rockies. Pierce Johnson got the final two outs for his eighth save for the Diamondbacks. Uh, Andrew Chafin, presumably unavailable. Miguel Castro converted his third save. That's Castro's second save in the past week. Uh, Welsh, you're out there in Arizona. Does it kind of feel like they're trying to get Miguel Castro more involved in the ninth as like, a partial closer on that team.
3: Yeah, he is a partial closer. That is the guy they've made the commitment to, and he's done a decent job. Uh, Chafin is going to be the more of the fireman. Like if they needed a big out in the eighth inning, they'll go to Chafin and they'll let cat. They trust Castro. This is going to be something where Castro is going to have like 12 saves at the end of the year, 12, 13 saves and Chafin, maybe 20. Gotcha.
1: For the Phillies, Gregory Soto got the eighth inning with the game tied at the time. Tied no more, gave up three runs on five hits, took his third loss of the season. On the other side, Camilo Duvall has three saves in as many days. He had a bit of a rough start to the season, but he has been incredibly dominant as of late. For the Orioles, Felix Bautista struck out two for his 11th save. Yanir Cano, another scoreless outing for his eighth hold. The ERA remains zero. No runs allowed on the season for Cano. For the Marlins, Tanner Scott pitched in the eighth inning. Dylan Floro pitched a scoreless ninth for his third save. The Yankees, you know, still kind of all over the place. Clay Holmes entered in the seventh in a tie game with runners on first and second, facing Bo Bichette, Dalton Varsho, Matt Chapman. That is clearly the highest leverage situation in the game, and Clay Holmes made it through unscathed. Uh, Jimmy Cordero pitched in the eighth. Michael King pitched in the ninth. Game still tied. Uh, Wandy Peralta got the 10th. He gave up a three-run walk-off homer to Danny Jansen. For the Rays, Jason Adam got the ninth. Mentioned this earlier against the Mets. He gave up a three-run homer. Uh, Pete Fairbanks, in the 10th, he had a two-run lead. He gave up a three-run homer. That was Fairbanks' first game back from the I.L., Velocity looked perfectly fine. The slider was actually up one mile per hour. For the Cardinals, Ryan Helsley recorded the final four outs for his fifth save. For the Braves, Rysel Iglesias bounced back for his second save, uh, and the fastball velocity was back up, basically the same as last year. And the Cubs have a real problem in their bullpen right now. Adbert Alzali pitched in the seventh with a 6-0 lead. Uh, Mark Leiter Jr. got the eighth. He gave up two runs. That made it 6-2. Keegan Thompson started the ninth with a four-run lead. He got charged with three runs, did not record an out. Brandon Hughes came, entered into a mess of a situation, and uh, he got charged with the loss, but the Cubs are searching for it right now in the back half of their bullpen. Uh, I thought it was Alzali or Lighter, but clearly they needed those guys earlier in the game. Let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream, and we'll start with Thursday. Uh, there's a few names here that are more rostered than I usually like to consider. I, I usually go 70% or less, but Tyler Wells against the Angels. He's 77%. Taj Bradley at the Mets. It's, you know, kind of dicey, his first start back. Uh, I think Logan T. Allen at the White Sox is fine. Um, there's nobody else on this list I want to trust.
3: Yep, I'm with uh, I'm with Allen and Wells. Those are the two that stand out to me as starts.
2: Yeah, Allen and Bradley I don't even view as uh, streamers. I, I think they should just be rostered pretty much across the board, but... I get it if you don't want to start Bradley in his first start back, given the AAA numbers like we talked about earlier.
1: On Friday, scrolling uh, up and down here, oof, not the greatest. Uh, There's interesting names, but it's like James Paxton, his second start back at the Padres. It's like, you know, kind of a tough lineup. I guess there's no Machado in there. I think it's all right. I think I would use Paxton. Um, Detmers hasn't been great this year. He's dropped under 70% roster. The Twins are not great against left-handed pitching. I think that one's fine too, Paxton and Detmers, and if I need another one, mm, I like Kopech
3: against the Royals a little bit, and Oviedo against the Diamondbacks. Both of those yeah. kind of jump out to me. All
2: right. I'm I'm sticking with Detmers. I'm not giving up on him. I don't think he. I think he's someone who should be added. Um, I know it's been a a rough start, but you know, strikeout rate's still good. Walk rate is fine. He's getting hit hard, but still getting a lot of whiffs. I, I think it's a uh, I think he's going to be fine.
1: All right. For the Chris's Towers and the Welsh, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.
4: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.